Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Ahí está el córner. Gol Gabriel Paulista. Marca el primero para el Arsenal. El córner que sacó Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there. Welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Yeah, no catchphrases this morning. It just doesn't seem appropriate or or right to do that. Fair enough. Well, I mean, at least we are both still here. Neither of us have been sent off yet. <laughs> Give it about 18 minutes and uh, one of us will make a reckless challenge and that will be that. Yeah, and uh, have to muddle bravely through on yeah. their own till the end. <laughs> are there any um, Spanish Brazilians who look like Cro-Magnon Man anywhere near you? Because you should be alert if that's the case, because if you just look at him funny, he'll fall over. I mean, I'm I'm glancing around my my the room I'm in right now, but uh, no sign, no sign. What about your end? Uh, no, but I did get a, a delivery this morning. It's a it's a postal tube of, of some. Hello, hello. No, he's not in there. It's actually he's a not po- in there. It's a poster. Thankfully, not of a man things. disguised as a poster uh, who might you know pretend to be tripped up. Or anything. Uh, Some consolation then. Yeah, just vague, vague consolation, really. Because yesterday was frustrating, wasn't it? It was... uh, (sighs) uh, That's um, how I feel about it. Yeah, I feel a bit like, oh, for fuck's sake. Because it felt like, you know, it was a a good chance for us to, to win a game against Chelsea. And, you know, they started okay and, you know, it wasn't brilliant from us. Uh, But I don't think we were under any real pressure, to be honest. No, I mean, it pressure. was a really... I said pressure. There. You did, you did. You said it with a degree of, I don't know, exasperation. It was almost as if my voice was breaking again. Can you imagine if it did? Can you imagine if you found out now that your voice had never fully broken and it had another way to go? Oh, wow, that would be amazing. Then, I, uh-huh. you know, you'd sound, like, super deep. Hello, yeah. welcome to another Arscast Extra. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be breaking records. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, as we've talked about in the podcast before... There are Chelsea supporters in my family, mm. for, for better or really for worse, to be honest. Yeah, but yes. But speaking to them before the game, they were very pessimistic, very pessimistic. They were convinced that this was a match where maybe they could kind of scrape a nil-nil, but probably that Arsenal would come through and, and win fairly comfortably. They couldn't mm. really see whether they were going to get a goal from. Uh, and, you know, they're a team that have really out of form, conceded five goals in their last two games. They're down in, what, 14th, 15th in the Premier League. And um, everything seemed to be going in our favour. And then, obviously, I mean, it, it, it all hinges on that red card, doesn't it? It all turns on that. Yeah, you're not easing my frustration here at all, I have to say. You know, I know, I sorry, no, sorry. That's OK. No, I think it did all hinge on that red card. Well, the game certainly turned on that red card, and to concede the goal... What, four minutes, three or four minutes after that, when we hadn't quite got reorganised? Um, yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it there was, were a couple of worrying yeah. signs before that, I suppose, but it was. I felt like it was a game that we, you know, certainly had the potential to win at that point. Once we went down to 10 men, it was it was always going to be incredibly difficult. Sure. So, look, let's, do, let's deal with it. Let's deal with the red card. Red card? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. I mean, when I, when I saw it in the flash, I was... Um, sort of further up the pitch than that, in terms of, from my point of view, close to the halfway line. And um, I, I immediately I thought he'd gone straight through him, and there was no doubt at all. What's slightly odd, obviously, looking back, is is how much Costa makes of it. And I suppose I shouldn't have been surprised by that remotely. Um, and that sort of throws it into a bit of doubt. But I still think it's a it's a red card challenge, right? It's a professional foul. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at it in real time, as the ref is looking at it. Um, 
there was no question in my mind what he was going to do when he came over. You know, there was no question that he was going to give me a yellow card or anything like that. It looked Same. like, yeah. yeah, it looked like it was going to be a red card straight from straight from the off. The The challenge was uh, mistimed. It was a little bit clumsy. He took his eye off the ball. It was like a moment of sort of madness in a way mm. from a player who isn't known for that kind of thing at all, who's usually much more analytical on the pitch about the decisions that he makes, you know. Um, but this one, he he got wrong. Now, the the thing is, the contact for me was minimal, if there was any real contact at all. If there was contact, it was contact that Costa initiated, you know, when a player leaves a foot in, kind yeah. of, that kind of thing. And I think there's there's no doubt in my mind that if he'd wanted to, he could have stayed on his feet, run onto the ball because his first touch was great. He took it past Mertesacker. He didn't clobber it way ahead of him. Um, you know, it was perfectly into his path and he could have gone on to have an attempt on goal. He chose to go down. And in one way, you can understand that because you get your, your team an advantage of a, of a man. Um, on the other hand, it is slightly depressing that in football, this has become accepted as, you know, part and parcel of the game. This is something that you should do. Rather than go for a goal, you should get the man sent off. Mm. And then you have mm. X amount of time left to, uh, you know, to use that man advantage to get the goal that, that you probably should have got in those circumstances. I mean, that's a little bit depressing, but that's the that's the game. That is the game. And I mean, ultimately... Ultimately, as much as it sickens me to say, his decision was vindicated. You know, it it, it did win the game for Chelsea effectively. Mm. Um, I mean, as for as for the actual incident itself, I mean, the, the defending wasn't great all around. I felt like uh, William was allowed to sort of storm through the midfield a, a little too easily. A little uh, too easily. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's being kind. Yeah. Um, and that happened more than once, even before we were down to ten men. Actually, it, it troubled me how how free, particularly he was, to run at people on the break. Um, and then Mertzak himself, I mean, I think it's a very rare and out-of-character moment for him because I think what we really saw was a moment of panic, to be honest. Mm. Um, I think he saw Costa had gone and, you know, in that instant, he reacts very quickly. I mean, the, the fact that he sort of even throws a look over... Is it, does he throw a look to the linesman as well, just as he's putting the challenge or in? Or maybe or? maybe Koscielny, to see where Koscielny is... You know whether he's yeah. whether he's there to provide the sort of cover that would make him not the last man. You know, mm. Mm. I mean, what do you but what do you make of yeah? What what do you make of the idea that you know he should have just let him run through? Like after the game, it's easy to say, isn't it? He should have just let him go, and maybe Czech would have made a save, or even if he'd scored, at least we have eleven versus eleven. I think that he probably makes the challenge because. He thinks he can get the ball, actually. I don't think that he's deliberately going, I'm going to bring him down now, we'll be sent off. I think he's thinking, I can get there. Um, and it's just a moment of misjudgment and, mm. as I say, panic thrown into that as well. I don't think, I think defenders very rarely consciously choose to let someone run through because I think that they're, they're aware that if they do and they score, it's kind of on them. I think they've got too much individual responsibility for that, to be honest. Yeah. In the heat of the moment. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, I think you have to try and make the tackle. Yeah, um, because nobody, if he goes on and scores, will say, as I said in the blog this morning, nobody will say, "Hey, well, you know, at least he didn't bring him down with a scything challenge that was mistimed and a bit clumsy, and now we have seventy minutes with eleven versus eleven. You know, the, the, it doesn't quite work like that. It's like, why the fuck didn't he try and make a tackle there? Why didn't he try and and stop him? Um, uh, you know, yeah. so it's I mean, the reality is, yeah, go on. The reality is that would have been better, you know. Obviously, you know. Yeah. I think to go down one nil, but with eleven men, I think we would have had every chance of coming back into it. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone thinks like that, especially as we said a couple of times now in in the heat of the moment. Mm. Um, but it was a massive blow, I suppose, and, and compounded. I mean, the substitution immediately afterwards. I I was really surprised by the ferocity of the reaction to that. The fans were not happy at all. Yeah. Well, just before we get on to that particular decision... Yeah, go on. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about something else that I've completely forgotten now. So let's let's go back to that decision, and I'll see if I can remember what I was going to talk about. Okay. Was it Costa himself? It was something to do with Mertesacker um, and the whole thing, but it might come back to me. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Yeah, so 
the decision then to uh, to take off Giroud. Who are you expecting to come off? Campbell. Me too. I thought Me he was going to take off Campbell. I was like, Campbell's going to be unlucky. I almost tweeted it saying, Joe Campbell's about to be a little bit unlucky, but he's going to be brought off. Mm. Because, he, I mean, it just seemed like he seemed the most expendable, I guess, of the outfield players. At yeah. That point. Yeah. Um, what did you make of the manager's rationale um, for for taking him off? Because what he said was, um, for me, it was quite a normal decision. We had to go for long distances and we needed pace to go from one goal to the other. We knew we had to drop deeper and use pace to get forward. And obviously pace is not necessarily Giroud's uh, strong point. We also know that he picked up an ankle injury in training and was a doubt for the game. So was there you know, possibly a, a, a bit of caution in there in the sense that if he'd uh, left Giroud on and Giroud had then uh, succumbed to that ankle problem, then we were forced into another change. So perhaps that was maybe. Part of it. I mean, in the press conference itself, when he spoke about the ankle problem and the injury only when pressed, really. Like his, the first, his first reaction was when he was asked if Giroud was fit. He sort of said, I, I think he is, yeah. Mm. I think it, he was keen to emphasise it was primarily a strategic choice. And he got quite angry, you know, about that being questioned. I think he said something like, do you want to take a poll on every decision I make? You know, <laughs> the, the fans, it's going to make classic arson, really, grumpy arson. But um, I, yeah, I mean, it made sense to an extent. I was kind of surprised, but I also thought, well, we went through a good period of the season with... Uh, Walcott as our centre forward and it was relatively effective you know it wasn't lunacy in my eyes it wasn't a crazy choice mm. uh, I think unfortunately much like with the Mertzaka thing you know looking back in hindsight he should have stayed on his feet in hindsight it was the wrong choice because Walcott didn't have a great game and but, it didn't... But, oh, yeah okay but was it the wrong choice in the sense that as uh, as a team you know, we lost that game 1-0, having played for 70 minutes with 10 men. And, I'll, mm. you know, I thought Walcott was really poor. I thought Ozil struggled to get into the game, Campbell too. Mm-hmm. But we didn't get run over. We didn't get battered by Chelsea. And whatever way he, he set up the team, because Walcott didn't go in a centre forward. No. He stayed left. So whatever Bezel way, he's, sort of place, yeah, he's sort of like a false nine-ish when Flamini wasn't up there doing that job. <laughs> mm. um, you know... In general terms, we were relatively solid yeah. for the rest of the game, you know. True, true. I mean, uh, one of my concerns when I saw Giroud coming off was set pieces immediately. I was thinking, you know, defensively, he's actually quite useful in that regard. Um, and, we, and we lost him. We lost a lot of height there. But I, I didn't think it was... I didn't think it was a, a bad decision. I just thought it... It didn't play out maybe as Arsene had had hoped. Do you um, think? Do you think it would have been a different substitution had we been one nil down as opposed to the game being at nil nil? Maybe, yeah. And I think that obviously compounded a lot of the frustration of it that we conceded so quickly. And then, of course, uh, your 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 leading scorer is off the pitch. Yeah, and you haven't really got another striker in reserve. You know, we've got Alexis, I guess, but beyond that, yeah. to um, to come on and change it. Uh, I mean, look, it was an odd one. I, you know, looking at it, I th- was really surprised Campbell stayed on at the time, mm. just because seniority as well. You know, I thought that would be a factor. Mm. Um, but Arsene clearly felt that he wanted to go that way, and he he went that way. You know, trying to attack with pace and speed on the counter for a lot of the first half of the season. So mm. I don't think we should be completely surprised by it. But in terms of form. You know, Giroud's in much better form than, than Walcott. Yeah, I've remembered what I was going to talk about. Um, oh, it was uh, watching your video. Because obviously Mertesacker has come in for a lot of criticism. I think mm. some of it's really been over the top. It was a bad decision and it was a bad challenge. And, uh, you know, a player of his experience should certainly know better. But I think mm. some of the, the criticism has gone over the top. Uh, they, they read out a, a stat on Sky which said, like, this is only his second card in 55 games. And one of those was yeah. a yellow card. You know, so he's not a guy who's making these bad decisions week in, week out. Um, I don't think he'd been booked this season. No, and the idea, you know, people always say, if he's exposed for pace, then it becomes a real problem. But in general, mm. that that doesn't happen. But I thought you made a really good point in your post-match video where you said Chelsea also have a, a centre-half who's got no pace whatsoever in John yeah. Terry. But what they don't do is leave him exposed the way Mertesacker was left exposed against 
uh, Costa yesterday. Yeah, and it, it comes back to the midfield thing, I think. Um, and the frustration that we might have there that William was allowed to, to run through. Like, I don't think if Coquelin had been on the pitch, you know, that, that situation would have been allowed to develop the way that it did. Um, so is there not also an onus on this, this midfield and this issue that we have? Clearly a dysfunctional midfield area. It's not working. And uh, that played a part in, in the sending off also. I think so. I think so. I mean, if you think of the, the pace that Arsenal had an attack with the likes of Campbell, Walcott, Oxlade-Chamberlain, I know they weren't playing directly through the middle, but you never saw them isolated against Terry, really. And mm. if you had, there's only one winner. Um, and I think that is come to, does come down to the work that the likes of Mikel and Matic do protecting him. And Flamini and Ramsey, you know, I mean... I think we've said this on here before, but I think we've been getting away with it for a little bit with those two. I don't think either of them has played particularly poorly individually. I just I just don't think it necessarily functions the same, as effectively as something like Cazorla and Cochlear. And one of the things I noticed yesterday is I feel like the gap between them is just too big at times. You know, sometimes Flamini seems to be to be either right on the edge of his own box, sitting incredibly deep, or in the opponent's box. <laughs> he, he doesn't operate in any of the space in between. It's bizarre. Mm. He's a box. He's not a box-to-box -box player. He's a box-and-box -box player. Yeah, box or box. Yeah, yeah exactly. Hell. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Uh, and Ramsey, of course, as we know. What did you make of him yesterday? Because, uh, again... You know, I did the player ratings on, on Arse blog and there were a lot of people going, fucking, how could you give Ramsey six and a half? I thought, you know, he at least uh, really put in the effort yesterday from the start. He ran himself into the ground. Statistically, you know, he was he was pretty good. He made more passes than anybody in the Arsenal team. He created that chance for uh, for Flamini before halftime, which we'll come to. You know, he, his defensive work, five out of seven tackles, eight ball recoveries, uh, some clearances, some block crosses. Uh, he committed six fouls. You know, um, probably uh, that Willian one, when you look back on it, that's where he should have made a, a proper foul and mm -hmm. taken a yellow card to prevent that, you know, from developing. But I thought he was, I thought he was actually all right. I thought he was, I mean, I thought he was in some respects good. I and mean, what I would say about Aaron Ramsey, what I often say is I'd sort of say he was everywhere. And in football terms, that's um, usually a, a term of praise. But with him as a central midfielder it, it isn't always you know mm. I, I felt like he was all over the pitch and it trying to make things happen as he does but that actually when he's one of your two you know deep midfielders that's kind of not what you need you need a great sense of stability from him so I thought that everything he did was pretty good as you say I'm just not sure he was necessarily doing it all in the right areas um it's a really difficult one with Ramsey because he's so got that instinct. You know, I guess like Steven Gerrard in the past or a player like that, he's so got that instinct to kind of get forward, get involved. He's attracted to the ball to a certain extent that he almost needs a freer role than the one we require from him at present. Mm. Um, but I mean, I, yeah, I agree that what he actually did when he had it at his feet was, was more than decent. Right. So look... Um Speaking of Ramsey then and, and that chance that he created just before halftime uh, for Matthew Flamini, uh, our mm. false nine, you know, <laughs> fucking guy in the box. Um, you know, I, I, the question as to why he was in there is irrelevant to me at this point because, you know, I, I don't care. He was and he should have scored. Yeah, he should have done. I mean, should he have gone with his head? I thought so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Or, that was, you know, I think it, actually when you look at it again, he probably had more time. To bring it down. Even to bring it down. I mean, there were actually three occasions where the ball fell to Flamini in the penalty box and it was kind of the, the worst possible player he'd want in that scenario. There was mm. one where Campbell found him early, earlier than that with a little through ball, you know, found him with the ball at his feet just around the penalty spot. Yeah. And then there was that one late on where... He attempted a kind of outrageous <laughs> back heel. Or well, something I think, inside. in fairness to him, in that one, I think that was the only thing he could he could do. It was a quick reaction. The ball was, yeah, yeah, it was a quick reaction. Um, but you know, I, I think obviously the best chance was this one just before half time, and it was one of those where sort of the whistle went quite soon afterwards, and you sort of couldn't really believe it happened. You know, it was kind of a oh, that was a great chance there, and mm. been and gone. I mean, if we scored that. Who knows what what a different game it might have been, especially with Alexis to come on in the second half. But yeah. probably the, the the last man you'd want there, to be mm. honest. There's a great picture of it actually doing the rounds and sort of flamity, you know, flying through the air. No, no, this is afterwards, and he's sort of ah. doing the whole platoon. No, 
oh, you know, arms in the air, like, ah. And just well, in, the, course, in the background, there's Joel Campbell with his uh, head in his hands going, oh. I remember God. seeing Joel Campbell doing that, thinking, oh, what, what have I just witnessed? And the streak is dead. Matthew Flamini's streak is dead. Mm. Well, that was that was inevitable. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm not really sure. In all fairness to him, that the uh, you know the, the the streak was entirely down to him. No, no, perhaps not. It wasn't a one man effort. But there you go. Mm, second half, to be fair, the the effort was there. The we didn't really make any clear cut chances, you'd say, uh, but there were some moments, weren't there? There was a couple of scrambles in the box when Courtois dropped the ball from from crosses. He was a little shaky. Um, a couple of moments where it nearly, nearly opened up, but didn't quite do that. Um, there was a big and, scramble, wasn't there? I yeah. remember a big scramble at one point. Mm. Um, many, not too much in the way of clear cut chances. Uh, I think it was one shot on target we managed in the end, something mm. like that. Um, but you know, if there's anything that Chelsea can do, I think I feel like they sort of went into autopilot a bit. You know, it was a bit like we resuscitated them. They remembered, they remembered who they were to an extent, <laughs> and they were able to see it through, um, which was enormously frustrating because they had been shipping plenty of goals of late: three against yeah. Everton last week, two against West Brom the week before. Uh, but yeah, I mean, how much? To what extent do you feel that this result is kind of related to our other results against Chelsea? You know, because what we were hoping is to sort of lay a few ghosts to rest and you know put that record aside. Do you think that there's a relationship between this defeat and other defeats we've suffered in the past? I don't know. I mean, look, it's hard to to look at a a defeat like this in isolation. I think it probably has more to do with the last number of games that we've played than previous games against Chelsea. You know, the the form in recent weeks has not been great. Um, two draws away from home. You know, we probably should have taken four points from six. Instead, we took two points from six, and yeah. that became two points from nine. So my worry would be more about the current form than our record against Chelsea, because... You you have these problems with certain teams, whether it's a psychological barrier or whatever the hell it might be. You know, you have to overcome it at, at some point, but its relevance to the current situation is very immediate. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, look, it was different manager um, the last time we played them. Uh, circumstances are are sort of similar, aren't they, in the sense that we went down to 10 men with a, a red card that ultimately was avoidable from our point of view. The same with Gabrielle's red card at Stamford Bridge. It was avoidable. Had he not made that little flick, he would have stayed on the pitch. You know, Absolutely, so yeah. so they must have been pumping Gabrielle with Valium before they put him on as well. I thought <laughs> we're replacing a guy who's just been sent off with Gabrielle against Costa. This isn't going to end well. Yeah, he did have a couple it. of little kicks at him, which I thought was great. In terms of their goal, what did you make of the the, the defending for the goal? Uh, do you know what I thought it was? I thought it was a consequence of what happens when you have kind of have to change up the back four midway mm. through a game. You know, I, I didn't think. I mean, I guess Monreal hasn't necessarily got that excuse. I thought he wasn't great in terms of shutting down the cross. Very unusual from him. But then Koscielny and Gabriel, it almost felt like a bit of miscommunication, really. You know, Costa kind of got in between them. And maybe Gabriel's concentration, not quite what it might have been, having having not started the game. So, mm. um, yeah, disappointing. I mean, that was a not a good goal to concede, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It was frustrating because... Again, like the red card, it was avoidable with better yeah. defending. I mean, they were pointing on TV afterwards, um, doing a lot of uh, uh, looking at Flamini and him running across the, the, the box, pointing and waving and, and doing that. And whether or not he was a, a distraction to the centre halves, I don't know. I mean, I don't quite know what he was doing. To be perfectly honest. Who who does? No, who does? Uh, But I'm not sure it played a a huge role in in the goal. Maybe he unsighted Koscielny a little bit. Uh, But it will mean, obviously, Gabriel comes into the team ahead of Mertesacker. Mertesacker will serve a a one-game ban. Uh, Does that immediately make us a huge amount better? A huge amount better. What to have Gabriel come into the side? Yeah, I mean, look, is it is it a case that now, okay, look, we have to we have to maybe give Gabriel and Koscielny a run of games? Maybe. I mean, he probably would have played anyway, wouldn't he? Because it's the FA Cup next yeah. against Sunderland, so I think he would have started that game regardless. Um, then where do we go from there? Is it Southampton and then uh, Bournemouth? I think. Right. I'll just look so, at the fixtures. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Southampton and Bournemouth, and then of course that that moved Leicester game. Mm. I, I think uh, maybe we do. I mean, I think you let Gabriel have his chance and 
I think you try and make it meritocratic, don't you? But uh, Arsene has a real belief in this Mertesacker and Koscielny partnership, and justifiably so. They're very much established as first choice, and I'm not sure I see him wavering from that too much based on this one incident, really. It's not even a 90-minute performance from Mertesacker that was particularly poor. It's an instantaneous moment, you know? Mm. It's a... It's a choice that he made in a split second. I can't necessarily see that being used as sort of ammunition to to drop him. Really, yeah. what do you think? Um, there's there's usually uh, a conservatism in managers. They like experience, you know, um, mm. and they they have to put their trust in that to a certain extent. That players who've done it for them for a long time um, will will do it again. You know, I I wonder if maybe. We're seeing, a, and we might come to him in the questions. There were some questions about El Neni, but you know, the the selection of Flamini in the first place, I think, is an example of that conservatism, right? In the sense that El Neni is an unknown quantity at this point, mm-hmm. but Flamini, he knows what he he's going to get from him for the most part, yeah. And whether it's good enough or not, he knows. Whereas it's, I guess, difficult to put El Neni in as a as a, a starter in a game against Chelsea. I do wonder if perhaps like. For example, if Walcott had been better yesterday, had been more of an attacking threat, he wouldn't have had to take him off uh, for Oxlade-Chamberlain. Maybe we might have seen El Elneny uh, for Flamini there. But look, you know, it just feels like perhaps we're at a point where a, a few things need to change within the team, within the dynamic of the team to sort of spark us back into life. And whether that's yeah. new partnerships or new team selections, we'll have to wait and see. Well, to an extent, I mean, that will happen organically because of the players coming back from injury, you you would hope anyway. Alexis obviously came off the bench yesterday. He'll come back into the side, one would imagine, pretty imminently. Mm. Um, and then Coquelin, of course, uh, back in training. And fingers crossed, no setbacks. I'm touching all the available wood around me to try and make sure that's the case. Um <laughs> Uh, let's hope that he uh, he comes back too, and, and that should change things up. I feel like this is a team that's kind of fought its way through a very tricky Christmas period without huge scope for rotation, uh, and is maybe just slightly in need of some fresh faces and fresh legs now in order to yeah. to gear up for the second half of the season. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I think we could probably touch on all the rest in the questions. There's, there's lots of questions about yesterday and certain you know aspects of that and, and what we might do from here and what it might mean. So maybe we'll do that in part two, yeah? Okay, good stuff. All right, okay. We're going to take a short break. We're back with your questions and everything else right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. As always, this is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arse blog. Thank you, uh, as always, for sending in so many questions. Uh, lots of uh, lots of them focused on yesterday and the game and everything like that, James, as you would expect. So, mm-hmm. so here's the first one. Right, this one mm-hmm. comes from. Uh, bah, bah, bah. This one comes from Chief at Macho Grande One at Macho okay. underscore Grande One. I'm not over Macho Grande, but anyway, uh, he says. 
Although captains are overrated, what are your views on the decision to make Theo Walcott captain? Do you think Fergie would have allowed sentiment to interfere with such an important league game? This wasn't a testimonial. We are supposed to be challenging for the title. Well, I wonder whose decision it was. Do you think it would have been Arsene Wenger's decision, or do you think maybe it was a decision made by, you know, Perma, Saka, Mikel Arteta and, and the rest of the players? Probably the second thing you said. Yeah, that's my impression. Especially because wasn't Per talking in the week about Walcott's 10 years with the club in sort of quite glowing terms? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't, I didn't see that. I think he was. And I think um, as the guy who sort of would have had the armband, I guess it would have been up to him. I mean, I found it surprising, obviously. Um, you know, lots of people pointed out there was something quite sort of neat and amusing about Walcott wearing the captain's armband upside down. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I didn't have a problem with it per se. I kind of, you know, you've seen it in the past, players on certain landmark occasions. I guess I guess I never really thought of it as a big deal, his 10th year with the club. I mean, it's more a consequence of the fact that he came here so young than anything else. It's, it doesn't feel like a kind of testimonial year in the traditional sense. Um but I didn't have an issue with it. And I kind of thought, if I'm honest, I kind of thought, well, maybe it'll make him work a bit harder. <laughs> maybe it will, like, you know, keep him on his defensive duties because it'll have a greater sense of responsibility. You know, I don't think that's something Mertesacker necessarily needs to bring the best out of him. Whereas I was like, well, you never know with Walcott, it might get his head in the right place. Um, as it happened, it's almost the inverse happened, really. He had a, he had a terrible game. But mm. I, I didn't have an issue with that in itself. What was What was your take? I'm with the guy when he says that, uh, you know, the, the captaincy isn't really... I mean, I think the idea that you need a Tony Adams type or a John Terry type, you know, that those guys are very rare. There's a reason why they stand out as great captains. It's because they're so fucking rare, right? There aren't sure. many of them around. And I do think that the idea of the captain, um, you know, who's the captain, is a bit overrated. I don't think it really matters. I don't think it has any tangible effect on the team. But I no. do wonder sometimes if we could benefit from from having somebody a little bit stronger uh, on the field in terms of in terms of character. As as for Walcott, you know, and the decision to give it to him. Maybe maybe it just does kind of send the wrong kind of message. You know, if you want to celebrate his 10 years at the club, buy him a fucking clock or something. Mm. You know, mm. here you go, Theo. Well done, 10 years. But, you know, what you do is play well. And we'll just fucking do what we normally do. Mertesacker is the captain. He leads the team out. Like, even if Walcott wanted to lead the team out, fine. But, you know, even that in itself, who gives a fuck? If he's been 10 years at the club, it's not a fucking, you know, it's not really something that has to be marked or appreciated in any significant way. You know, do a few things on the website and that's fine. Nobody really mm. cares beyond that, you know? Um, no. And, and no, there's too much fucking of this kind of shit in general now these days, you know, uh, where we have to, everything has to be some kind of landmark. Happy birthday to fucking Joe twit spanner who fucking played for Arsenal back in the 1950s every single day there has to be something on this day this happened or this anniversary of this or this fucking event you know it's just well, I don't know everything's a marketing opportunity isn't it everything's a communications opportunity yeah and so clubs are just constantly looking for stuff they can piggyback or make a feature of or tweet about or put on Instagram mm. uh, it's all about content and that's feeds into that but I think um yeah, initially I thought he just led the team out. I didn't realise he was actually wearing the armband. And then when I saw he was, I, I was very surprised. I mean, he's not what you would call a natural captain, is Theo. But I think if we know anything, it's that we know that Arsene Wenger, I don't think he really gives a shit about who wears the armband. No, and I think... made I, that yeah. pretty clear. I think that's true because, you know, rightly, I think he stresses the need for collective responsibility on the pitch. You know, that's and, and that's absolutely right. I think that's the right way to go. But also, if you do have a player who's got that little bit extra, it can benefit the team. It can do. Mm. But we don't we don't really have that we don't really have that kind of player or those kind of players in the team. As for Walcott yesterday, um if that's the way that he's gonna mark his ten years at the club, fuck me. Well, you know. Yeah. I mean uh 
there's been a few questions about Walcott. I mean, this one, let's just pick one at random. Dave Robbins at Robo HDR. Um, he says, is it time to cut our losses with Walcott, who continues to underperform? I mean, he was bad yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was bad. You know, it was interesting, though, because I had a look. You know the way he can be in and out of games? And I had a look at the uh, the, the stats via the Stats Zone app. And uh, Walcott, let me just bring it up here. I mean, uh, okay, Aaron Aaron Ramsey made, what, hang on, what was it? Bum, 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 58 out of 66 passes. Walcott was 18 out of 19 passes, which is a 95% pass completion rate. Mm. However, the amount of times that he was bundled off it or lost it or, get, you know, just... Oh. I mean, he, he was offside he an awful lot. He was offside, and, you know, those are marginal decisions as well. You know, can, I guess it's sort of summed up what sort of a weird player he is in that he was terrible, but maybe in the first half our most potentially dangerous player. Yes, I mean, that's true. I mean, I was sat next to a colleague of mine who supports Chelsea, and he was saying he couldn't believe... How how often Walcott was offside? Given how much quicker he was than than either of the two Chelsea centre halves, he was like he doesn't need to take that risk. He can go afford half a yard mm. more, and I think that's probably a fair point. But those are marginal decisions. What was more troubling was that once he got the ball, sometimes in those areas, his touch was really poor yesterday. Really poor. Mm. He could barely bring it under control. Um, it was like a flashback, almost to the Walcott of ten years ago when he arrived as a teenager with raw pace and yeah, not much else, raw, raw everything else. Yeah, <clears throat> um, but I mean the other question. I mean this is from uh, Othman, who's at O2 Ajiri. He just wants to know: Do you believe Arsene Wenger took Giroud out because of his injury, or was he hesitant to ruin Theo's symbolic big day as captain? No, do you think there was no. any sentiment at all? No, in that? not at all. I would agree with that. No way, no way, no way. He made the decision that he thought was right for the team based on the circumstances. Um, again, you have to make a decision in a, in a moment as a manager, and you know it's, it's easy to look back with hindsight and say, "Well, that was that was the wrong decision." But no, I don't think there was any sense that uh, that uh, he was doing that for Walcott. As we said earlier, we thought it would be Campbell that came off. So, um, yeah, and we know Arsene can be ruthless in these circumstances. You think back to the Champions League final in 2006, you know, taking off Robert Pires yeah. after Jens Lehmann's dismissal. Yeah. So I think he's not a sentimental guy when it comes to these things. Um, I mean, if you were I, to go back in time, you'd take Walcott off, for sure, and drive sure. him off into the woods and leave him there. But... <laughs> One goal and one assist in his last 14 appearances, I think it is now. It's pretty terrible, uh, actually. And, you know, I think there's got to be the end of him as a wide player. Whatever about him as a as a forward, I think it's the end of him as a wide player. As soon as Alexis gets back. Actually, here here's another question. This one comes from... Boom, boom, boom. Uh, Ozil's Flickery fan, who yes. is at... Oh, shit. Uh, at Saurab H. Gualani. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know what I've done there. Uh, but he says, as Sanchez is back, who do you replace when he comes into the team? Is it Campbell or Walcott? I think it's Walcott. I think it's Walcott for balance. I mean, the thing is, the slightly strange thing about this little period is that Walcott's played the whole time from the left-hand side, um, which actually is a, is a position he really doesn't know that well. You know, pr- prior to the season, he's played there the occasional game, mm. but it's not like a natural role for him, really. And, and actually... Odd, odd as well with Campbell as a, a left-footer who could play on the left-hand side. That is true, although Campbell predominantly, as far as I understand, ha- you know, when he's on his loan spells, has played predominantly from the right. So he is at least accustomed to it. But, I mean, I... Um, I mean, Walcott, I think, is, is more useful on the right-hand side. I feel like he times his runs better there. I feel like he's got a better understanding of how to get in between the full-back and the centre-half than he does from the left. Do, do you think it's because uh, the manager thinks that uh, Monreal is better equipped to deal with Walcott's defensive flaws than, than Bellerin? And I he's got that pace of that. Bellerin on the right-hand side anyway. I think there's also a positive element to that choice in that he likes a player on the right who drives in field because it creates space on the overlap for Bellerin. Yeah. Um, hence using Aaron Ramsey there so effectively for so long. Uh, and I think he likes doing that with Campbell. We've seen him do it with Wilshire as well uh, last season. Yeah. But um, so I think I think I would drop Walcott. Yeah, I think I'll drop Walcott and I'd put him in a position where he's rotating or competing again with Olivier Giroud because 
that's where we've seen his best performances in the last uh, in the last year or so. Mm. I, I thought we had seen the end of him as a wide player, to be honest. It's only injuries, I think, that have created yeah. the chances and the poor form of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Because I actually think Arsenal would probably have gone with Oxlade-Chamberlain over Walcott in those areas if Oxlade-Chamberlain was performing anywhere mm. anywhere like we would expect. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. Um, okay, let's have another one. Let's have a, another one. Uh, let me have a little look. <laughs> okay, this is from. Uh, we touched on this before. But uh, Asim Modi, who's at AH Modi, says, Is it possible to feel good about our non-collapse and overall enterprising and disciplined play post the red card? I think if you are seeking any positives from that game, then that's it. Sure. Um, You know, it could have have been a lot worse. I mean, we've seen it in the past where teams have have turned the screw. You think back to the game against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge when Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was sent off uh, fairly early in the game as well, wasn't it? It was more... Oh, it was Kieran Gibbs who was sent (laughs) off. I went all Andre Mariner there. Um, But yeah, you know, we had a red card early in that game as well. And that turned out to be an absolute hiding. Um, so if you are seeking a positive from that, it's that um, despite the fact that certain players played really quite poorly, that we didn't get overrun. Now, whether that's as much down to how we played or or whether Chelsea just weren't that, that good, I think the truth is probably somewhere in between there. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think if as players and as a manager, what, what he's got to do is make sure that this disappointing defeat does not become really demoralizing so he's got to point he's got to find some kind of positives or some silver lining from it and to me that's that's probably the only silver lining is that we weren't overrun with 10 men we did play reasonably well we did create one absolutely guilt edge chance to to score a goal and to equalize um which again would have changed the complexion of the game if, if that had gone in so yeah um on the day on which there were very few positives that is the only real positive you can take. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, look, it's uh, it's not a great day when the positive is well, we didn't get beat five one, but um, there were there were some encouraging signs, and I know that some fans watching yesterday were actually felt there were as many reasons uh, as many. What's the what's the one I look for? As much evidence in our performance that we can go on and challenge still yeah. for the league as as evidence that we can't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, where would you stand on that particular dichotomy? That, that particular well, yeah, that's a question that many people have asked this morning as well. I can't find any of the examples here unless I've got one here. Da, 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 da. No, I don't really have one specifically right. uh, about that. But um, what it means for our title challenge. Look, we're three points off the top. There's loads of games still to play. Um, we've been we've been getting reasonable results with a short squad, and we've got players coming back. So there are reasons, I guess, to to still feel like like I don't think what happened yesterday against Chelsea was a hammer blow. That didn't kill our title chance in any way. No. But what you would say is that right at this moment in time, we are not playing like a team that looks like it's going to go on and win the title. Hence the need earlier, as we spoke about, for for something to spark the team back into life, for certain things to change, for dynamics within the team to change, to find the right kind of partnerships. Um, You know, I don't think you can function as a defensive unit without a functioning midfield, and you can't function as an attacking unit without a functioning midfield either. And I I think that is the crux of our problem, is to make midfield work properly again. Because Absolutely. if if we don't do that, we're gonna we're gonna concede goals. We're gonna find ourselves under pressure the way we did yesterday, and we're gonna find it very difficult. And I'm not just talking about the centre of midfield here. I'm talking about wide players. I'm talking about um, you know Walcott not being able to contribute from an attacking point of view. Joel Campbell not being able to contribute from an attacking point of view yesterday. You know um, that whole thing has got to has got to come together in order for this team to go again. So I don't think we're out of it. But I think you've got to be a little bit worried at this moment in time that uh, the the last few results haven't been great. We've got some very difficult fixtures coming up. There's FA Cup, there's Champions League, there's away games at uh, at Tottenham, away game at Old Trafford. There's some very difficult games uh, on the horizon. So we've got to find a spark to get us back into it, but we're not out of it. 
that would be my thing. No, by no means. And I think you're absolutely right about the midfield. And when you look at 2015 and, and what a strong calendar year we had, I think so much of that is is related to that midfield shape that we found, which was Cazorla and Cochlear with Aaron Ramsey on the right-hand side. And it was unconventional and it was imperfect at times, but it did, it did work. Uh, and we haven't rediscovered that balance since losing those two players from the middle of the park. Mm. And it won't be easy and it might just take a degree of experimentation, but I think we're in a position now where we might as well experiment because what we have isn't really working. Um, and people will point to results and say we haven't suffered that many defeats, but I think we ought to have accumulated more points than we have over the last month or so. Yeah, um, And that's the slight worry, I guess, if you talk about the title hopes. You know, I think our fixture list doesn't get massively easier we've got some difficult away trips uh, on the horizon uh, some difficult home games I mean Leicester visits soon and I think you know uh, we, we had a slight chance to capitalise which we have slightly squandered and looking at the league table now two points behind us are, are Tottenham mm. you know what looked like uh, a three horse race may become a four horse race as, as mad as that might be to say I'm sure they'll find a way to screw it up you know fingers crossed but uh, I, you know I felt like we had the momentum heading into the new year and it no longer necessarily feels that way. Mm. I don't really feel like anyone's got it, if I'm honest. Well, that's true. I mean, people talk all the time about how it's a crazy season and and we're obviously part of that. We're not immune to the madness of of this season. We're playing Mm. our part in what is clearly fucking just crazy Premier League um, uh, campaign, yeah. you know, it is hijinks. So, it is, it is hijinks. Okay, here's one from Dan Maisie at Dan Maisie. I don't know if he's like a Maisie runner or if he's a, like a. Imagine if he was a maze construction expert. Wow, what a job! It actually says acoustic singer songwriter from LA. But there you go. Maybe like as a sideline, maybe as a spare time. He designed. I mean, we're all singer songwriters, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I think he's still bringing the bacon home by doing a bit of amazing yeah, every now and yeah. again. Anyway, he wants to know: Does the fact that we've not seen El Neni make you concerned as to what Arsenal has seen in training? Ah, uh, well, look, the fixture list has conspired against El Neni to an extent. First of all, I think the plan was originally, I think they wanted to get him in January 1st. I think they wanted to get him in as soon as humanly possible. Mm. I mean, that sort of goes without saying, but I think they thought they would. I think they thought he would be here for the FA Cup third round. Um, There were a couple of issues, I think, with this whole Egypt dropping out of the top 50 malarkey and a couple of work permit things to iron out that slowed the deal down. I don't think it was anything to do with Basel. Um, And then it was kind of like, well, can you throw him in at Stoke? I mean, you know, for all their transformation, it's still a, an intimidating fixture for players who never played in English football. Made me think a little bit of Robert Pires watching his first yeah. Arsenal game away at Sunderland. You know, Arsenal just putting him on the bench and saying, "Have a look at this. This is what you're in for." I know they're very different players, but and then Chelsea, you know, uh, an opponent who traditionally give us an awful lot of trouble, a very high-profile match. Can you chuck him in from the start? Mm. And I think that will have played on Arsenal's mind. I, I guess a little bit of me would rather that we'd signed a player who was so definitively better than our current crop of options that he had to start. But that's probably impossible. Mm. Uh, And that's not what we've got, I don't think. I think we've got a guy who is going to be a handy squad player but may take some time to settle. Um, And I also think in Arsene's mind, this is another point to this, is that Cochrane's back much sooner than anyone anticipated. And I almost wonder if he feels... Is it worth putting the team in a process of evolution with El Nenny in the middle when I'm about to bring Cochrane back in anyway? Yeah. Should I just stick with Flamini, which I know what it is, and not disrupt the unit that's in place until Cochrane comes back? And I think that probably factored in too. So I don't think we can necessarily believe it's anything to do with what he's seen in training. I think it's just an unfortunate consequence of timing. What about you? I think that's probably right, yeah. Um, conservatism, as we spoke about earlier, just better the devil you know to a certain extent uh, in terms in terms of Flamini. And if, uh, you know, he's seen him in training, if he doesn't necessarily see him as that holding midfield player, but more of a, more of a sort of a, an all-round midfielder, would he play him ahead of Flamini? I think maybe yesterday he would have put him on uh, for Flamini if, if he hadn't had to make the Oxlade-Chamberlain for Walcott substitution. Um mm. 
I think we might have seen him. We we should definitely see him this weekend uh, in the FA Cup against Burnley. Um, that strikes me as a very good uh, way of of giving him his debut and seeing what he's about. So it'll be interesting to see where he plays him there. Um, it will, especially because he, he may have the opportunity to bring Cochrane back as well. You know, give him a few minutes. So yeah. I, I don't. If he does that, then I don't think we'll see on any in a holding role. Will it? We'll see him more replicating the kind of Aaron Ramsey job. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Look, it's it's way too early to to make any assumptions uh, on that player simply because we haven't seen him. So we've got we've got to see him. I don't think you can you can read too much into the fact he hasn't played yet. It's circumsta- circumstantial more than than anything to do with his quality. I'd say. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And I mean, the one thing I would say is, you know, I don't know if he'll ever. I don't know if he will get a run in the side now. If if these players do come back to fitness, you know, he may he may find himself biding his time somewhat, a little like Gabrielle had to last mm. season. Mm. Um, here's a question for you from mm-hmm. Johnny Bowden at Johnny underscore B underscore AFC. He asks, how much will subbing Giroud affect his confidence now as he is such a confidence player? I don't think it will. I, don't I think it'll affect it, it less than a bad miss, for example. Yeah. Less than a high-profile high miss. Because yeah. effectively he didn't really do anything wrong. No, he didn't. I mean, there was a question here which we can answer in, in, in the second part of this. It comes from Mikey Mike 2711 um, who, who said, am I alone in thinking Giroud's reaction to being sub said more about him than the decision? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, it felt to me that he was thinking, why take me off rather than thinking of the bigger picture? He knew he wasn't 100% too. I mean, look, in a big game like that, I would be... I would be very surprised if a player uh, was was on uh, wasn't uh, unhappy at being taken off, particularly when you're the only striker. I, you know that that probably didn't make much sense to him. He was probably expecting Campbell to to come off. Also, I don't. He think definitely it, wasn't expecting to come off. No, he, he that. certainly when wasn't. Board, came, board went up. He wasn't even looking at it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think it will affect his confidence. I would hope that it's one of those things that he he you know, he he builds on to a certain extent in a way in a way that he's done a couple of times this season. In that he was left on the bench when Walcott was being played up front. And his reaction to that this season was fantastic. It was to come off the bench and score goals. So it was mm-hmm. like, okay, you made your decision. Here's my reaction to it. And I would hope that we will see a similar reaction from him um, in his next game or, or the next time he plays, um, you know, to sort of highlight to the manager, OK, well, look, I, that's your decision. You made it. And the way that I respond is w- with my feet. And I hope that's yeah. what will happen. And I think the greatest danger with Giroud is, is actually complacency, is when he's in the team very comfortably. But what we do see is that when there is a bit of a setback, as you say, he responds superbly. Think of last season, the acquisition of Danny Welbeck. He was starting through the middle. He was out with a broken leg. <clears throat> and there were question marks then about his ability to mm. regain his place in the side. And he absolutely stormed back into the team with a brilliant run of goals. Yeah. Um, so fingers crossed this lights another fire under him. Because I feel that if there is a, a psychological fragility to him, it's that he needs that. It's that he needs a bit of stick as much as a bit of carrot. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it, that can be what it takes to get him going. Yeah. And I don't think his confidence will be too dented. I mean, the fact that all the fans were clearly, you know, outraged at the decision uh, (laughs) is effectively validation for him. Yeah, absolutely. So if he, you know, if he feels like he's got a point to prove and that that, uh, manifests itself in his next performance, then, you know, I think that's more likely the reaction we're going to see than him being in any way uh, demoralised or anything like that. Absolutely. Steve Pitcher wants to know, he's at SA Pitcher, uh, do you think we should sacrifice the FA Cup this year and focus on the league? Play the kids! <laughs> Which kids? There are so few around, I feel. At the yeah, moment, you know. that's it. I feel like so many are out on loan. I mean, you'd be going really deep into the sort of academy structure in order to, to get a team out there. Um, okay, well, here, okay. Pick, pick a team this weekend for the FA Cup game. What would I pick? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I suppose... No, what, what, what do you think the manager might pick as well? Fine. I think this is what the manager will pick. Okay. I think he'll pick David Espina. Yeah. If he's, if he's fit to play, which I assume he is. Uh, I think he'll pick uh, Koscielny and Gabriel at centre-half. Mm-hmm. I think he'll pick Kieran Gibbs. Yeah. I think he will pick... Hmm. 
I'm not sure if he'll pick Callum Chambers. He doesn't like picking Callum Chambers at right back, does he? He hasn't done it for a long time. He's got to do something, though, because he doesn't have... He's not going to play Debussy because Debussy is fucking off. He's just played Bellerin a lot, a lot, a lot, hasn't he? He's got to give Bellerin a rest, I think. Right, well, then it's got to be Chambers, hasn't it? I mm. suspect. Midfield, I think, will be interesting. Um, I wonder what he'll do. Arteta? Is he fit? Do we know why he wasn't on the I bench? Was it just? I don't think. I think Arteta is not going to figure very much. I'll be honest. Between now and the end of the season, I think Elneny will start. Yeah, and I think he might start alongside Aaron Ramsey. Actually, mm-hmm. do you uh, think he'll bring Cochrane back? I think Cochrane might be on the bench and might play half an hour or something like that. I'm not sure he would risk putting him straight into the lineup. The one I can't figure out is Alexis. Um, you know, do you do you throw him straight back into the starting lineup? Does he need that football, or do you are you cautious with him? Yeah. What would your instinct be on? Alexis? I think he might start him, and then look to you know to get a lead and and bring him off. I think he might start him just well, to I give think, him the minutes. I think he'll start Giroud because obviously he'll have had a bit of a rest, having been with sub so early. Yeah. Uh, then he'll start Alexis. Then o- he'll start Oxley Chamberlain. Yeah, Oxlade Chamberlain. I mean, Oxlade Chamberlain could either play from the right, you know, or he could play. Um, I mean, it, it, it depends on if you think Urza will start effectively. No. You think he won't? No, I don't think he will. So then that means you could play Oxlade Chamberlain and Campbell. You could play Oxlade Chamberlain and Ramsey in a 4 3 3 as he did at Stoke. Yeah. Um, and play Campbell from the right hand side. I'll go with that. So I'll go with El Nenny, Ramsey, and Oxlade Chamberlain mm. in the middle. So it's not it's uh, not like playing the kids, but there's certainly scope for more rotation than there there has been in recent weeks. I mean, you're other yeah, you've got options like you don't have to play Campbell. You could play Awobi if you want to give Awobi another game. He did mm. well, didn't he? Um, on his first start not too long ago, and then who else have you got? You've got the Jeff, of course. Did you see the Jeff's goal the other day? For yeah, the kids? yeah, it was a Pretty special, beautiful, beautiful skill. You seen it? Yeah, beautiful yeah. skill. Not much of not much of a finish, but you know, not much of goalkeeping. No, <laughs> <laughs> it was um, all a bit minulae, The goalkeeping, it was a bit minulae. I mean, does that sound about right to you? Or do you think? Yeah, that- I, I think that'll be it. I wouldn't be surprised to see Cockerland start. Right. You know, he's in full training. He's tearing around. He's making tackles. You know, the next step is is getting back in there. You know, if he's in full contact training, you know, he, he's probably fit enough to play. Uh, I mean, you could go with a sort of Cochlan and El Nenny as the deeper and then release Ramsey a bit further forward, Oxlade Chamberlain from the right. That might be nice as mm. well. Um, you've got options. And I think, yeah, the, I mean, the other temptation is do you go Cochlan and Ramsey now and see if you can make that work from now? You know, if, if that's what you're going to try and make work for the next month or so. Do you start bedding that in? Yeah, I do want it because we do play Tuesday night, isn't it, though? We, we've yeah. got a FA Cup game oh, on yeah. Saturday and then it's Tuesday night. So I, I think he's got to be a little bit cautious. Um, he's not going to be able to, to test those partnerships out because he's not going to play Coquelin, for example, in the FA Cup and then play him on Tuesday. That would that would be, you know, way too much. True. Um, which is why I'm, I also think he might give Ramsey a bit of a rest on, on Saturday. So, And hopefully, um, if Alexis does start, he sort of gets a... Yeah. Few early goals and then can so. yeah can, can come off. Yeah. So so is that about that in terms? Of, I think that's about I, that. Really. Oh, I've I mean, got I've got one more question I'll here. Go on, then. I do. Uh, this one comes. Uh, where is it? Okay, here it is. Uh, it comes from Martin Mannion, who's hmm. at Natalia's dad, who says, "Who'd win in a fight between a bowl of cornflakes and a stepladder? Because though those are the only questions you read out." <laughs> I mean, we do like those. We do, but they're what not the it? only ones. What was it? A bowl of cornflakes? Who you know win between uh, a fight between a bowl of cornflakes and a stepladder? I mean, you know how I feel about cornflakes. Yeah. Can't stand them. I, I do, but look, time. I don't think we should. I don't think we should treat this question in any way seriously at all. Fine. You know, I think the the, the other ones at least there's scope for. They're grounded in some measure of reality. Whereas sure. this one. Like why would a why would a bowl of cornflakes fight a stepladder? It just doesn't knows. make any sense. They're they good get friends. On famously, yeah. yeah. It would never happen, mate. Yeah, never would. Um, I think that's about that. Oh, should I do my plug? Oh, yes, please do. Yes, plug plug away. So if you are in London, um, in my other life, I perform comedy, and I'm doing it this week at the Soho Theatre. 
every night from Monday to Saturday at 7.15pm. Show's called Beasts Live DVD. It's very stupid, very silly. If you want to see stuff like a bowl of cornflakes fighting against a stepladder, it's that kind of show, really. If you don't want to see it, definitely don't come. That guy who tweeted that, he sounds a bit annoyed. He shouldn't come. No. But the rest of you, very welcome. Very welcome. Come Soho Theatre. Soho Theatre. And how much, are the, how much are the tickets? I think they're priced from £10, just 10 of your English pounds. That is a bargain. At twice a bargain. the price, that would be a bargain. There you go. A there whole you go. In, in Soho, of all places, you can't get anything for a tenner in Soho. Believe me, I've asked on many street corners. <laughs> um, so, yeah, come along if you fancy it. It'll be a laugh. Okay, do that. Go see uh, Beasts at mm. Soho Theatre. Uh, mm. That would be good, uh, and forget about all the forget about the football for a bit. Yeah, yeah. FA Cup's coming. That always cheers us up. We always win that one. Yeah, exactly. Fine. Yeah. All right. We well, never losing. <laughs> I'm keeping that there now, just for for next week, next Monday's uh, examination of the Burnley defeat. <laughs> um, we will be here, of course, on Monday to uh, talk about what's happening or what has happened in the FA Cup. I'll be here on Friday with uh, an Arscast regular, looking ahead to that game. Uh, until then, take it easy. Bye bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.